just love how Jesus comes. Hallelujah. How he comes. It removes every fear, every trouble, every burden that we carry. He just sets us free of it all so that we can go on into another day expectant, excited, and ready for what he has for us. Amen? Amen. Well, look at this weather we're having. Goodness me. It's fabulous. Absolutely wonderful. And we could be anywhere this morning. We could be in Porthcawl, dipping our feet in the, in the sea there. But we're here. Hallelujah. We're here as God's people. And um, do you know what? God sees, like I said, God sees in amidst all of the things that we go through in life. He sees the decisions that we make in those hard, difficult times where we raise our voice to praise his name, irrespective of how we feel, irrespective of what we go through, irrespective of the questions that we have that may hang over our future as we go forward. When we make that decision, as we have done, to lift our voice up and praise him, I tell you, it has great weight. It has great weight in the presence of God. Well, this morning... In this series of messages, fresh, focused thinking that we're in, we're going to see how vital it is for us to have God's Word at the heart and center of our lives. I'm sure we'll all agree that we need the truth. We need the Word of God to shape and transform our thinking to give us fresh focus. We're going to see this morning as we go through this how important it is also to listen, to listen to the wisdom of God's Word. When we come to make decisions, when we come to make choices in life, it's very important at certain occasions, that we have access to a higher wisdom than our own. We need the word of God's instruction. We need the word of God's wisdom. And it's there, accessible, available for every single one of us. When we meet those junctures of life where we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn. It's there in those moments, those pressure moments, those challenging moments, those moments sometimes of confusion that wisdom will cry out, call out, appeal to us to teach us, to instruct us, and to direct us in the way that we should go. For our lives to work well. And we all want our lives to work out well, don't we? For our lives to work well, we have to have God's Word at the center of it. There's no other way. Of course, there's many ways. But if your life is going to work out well, if my life is going to work out well, we have to have God's Word of truth at the center of it. And that, as you may have found, doesn't just happen automatically. We need to continually focus our thoughts afresh every day. Sometimes, moment by moment, we need to focus our thoughts afresh adjust them, align them 
with God's word of truth, God's word of wisdom. We must allow it to judge, correct, and instruct us in the decisions and the attitudes that we hold. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Paul exhorted believers by saying this, and the exhortation is to each and every one of us today. It hasn't changed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Apostle Paul wanted all believers to experience the Word of Christ as an active voice in their life. Much of our lives, as they unfold every day, are all about making decisions. Life, in essence, much of it anyway, is about making choices after choices, decision after decision. And many of the choices that all of us make on a daily basis are purely from a place of emotion and feeling. And for some aspects, probably for most aspects in life, that's okay. It's absolutely fine. If it feels good about making a certain decision, then make it. It works for maybe the majority of the time. If it doesn't feel right to make a certain decision, then you don't go with it. All of us are used to our feelings and our emotions in making the choices that we make. Feelings and emotions are closely related and tied into how we decide. But there's important choices and decisions in life that if we make them purely on the basis of feelings and emotions, in the heat of the moment, we're going to possibly regret the decisions that we make. And that's why Paul exhorts believers to let the Word of Christ dwell within them and within us richly. Because it's wisdom's teaching that will bring instruction, direction, and correction. It will address those attitudes. It will address those misaligned choices and decisions. Wisdom's teaching is far higher than the voice of our reason, than the feelings and emotions that course through our lives on a daily basis. When we're faced with important decisions, it's God's Word of wisdom that we need to seek, that we need to listen to, that we need to embrace, that we need to allow to instruct us. Whether our emotions accept it or reject it, we have to embrace God's Word. You know, there's times in all of our lives where we know the way in which we should go. Where we've heard wisdom's voice, and it seems as if it's the hardest way to go after its instruction. But wait a little while. The rewards of wisdom, the rewards of obeying God's Word, the rewards of listening to God's Spirit instruct us and teach us far outweigh any sacrifice that we might have to make to obey it. Because God's Word will always align our lives to the will of God for it. 
There's times in all of our lives where our feelings and our emotions will fight God's word, God's way, and the instruction that the Spirit brings. But that's where faith and trust is required. Even when you don't want to necessarily obey God's word, you've just got to trust him that his wisdom is higher than yours. And he speaks into our lives because he cares for us. He loves us and he wants us to walk under his favor and under his blessing. There are times and occasions in the Bible where you see people very honestly, their feelings and emotions are all over the place. They're screaming out. God has spoken and suddenly everything within them rises up to contend with what God has said. But as they move through those feelings and through those emotions to trust him, the rewards of wisdom are far more than the sacrifices that they had to make. In those times when your feelings rail against the wisdom of God's word, it's time. Stand up in faith. Take control and switch the things off. Switch them off. Switch that feeling off. Switch that emotion off. And do it by faith and walk out that word that you know is right for your life. When wisdom, the wisdom of God's word, dwells within us richly and you or I need direction about an important choice that we have to make at a time in our lives, you will hear. You will hear. There's no doubt about it. You will hear wisdom call. You will hear the direction that you need to take. You will know what to do. God will not be quiet. The Spirit will speak. He will. Absolutely. He will. Prophet Isaiah spoke of how much God desires to help his people. In times of life... When they wouldn't know what to do or where to turn, God promised to speak and give direction, instructing them in the way to go. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, Isaiah sees this and speaks on God's behalf by saying this. Verse 21, your ears or your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way. You should go, whether to the right or to the left. What Isaiah is showing us here is that God will never just stand on the sidelines of our life, uninvolved, uninterested, as a silent observer, watching us stumble and fumble through life and fall about. No! God, by his spirit, will be involved at every point in every season of our lives. We don't have to guess our way through those tough times. We don't have to guess our way through those challenging choices that we have to make. Isaiah assures us that we'll hear his voice. He'll speak to us and show us the way in which we should go. God is ready with all of his care, with all of his assistance to come and lead you through. That's how much he loves you. There's no distance between us. In Proverbs chapter 29, we'll spend some time here for a few moments. Proverbs chapter 29, King Solomon shows us how vital it is to have the guidance of God's word at the heart of our lives. He tells us 
When people don't have God's word of wisdom guiding and instructing them, they cast off restraint. But when we heed wisdom's voice, we're blessed. Listen to how he puts it in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. He says this, where there is no vision or where there is no revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Whenever we find the word revelation or vision in our Bibles, it always relates to people having an encounter with God. A revelation in mind and understanding regarding God's word and ways for their life and how they should live it. Many people sum up vision by saying that it's all about having big dreams, a head full of ideas, and how to live them out. Or about having an elaborate plan as to how we should set out our future. But Bible vision is not about having our own ideas for life at all. Bible vision is all about putting our thoughts aside in order to embrace God's thoughts as found in His Word. And Solomon says, with no revelation or vision of God's Word, people cast off restraint. Solomon here shows us the hard realities of how people live their lives and how their lives unfold. And there's no way of softening the blow. There's no way of making the picture comfortable or making the picture colorful so that people don't get upset. Solomon's words are words of warning to anyone that would read them. With no vision or revelation of God, Solomon tells us, people cast off restraint. They cast off restraints that are healthy. These are not negative restraints that Solomon is talking about, or restraints that would hinder you or bring you harm. No, people cast off restraints that are healthy beneficial, good for their lives. Because, and this is the reason, because their thinking is not subject to the word of wisdom, the word of God, and the world at large today. Because it has no revelation of the truth. Tells us that restraints are wrong. The world in which you live and the messages that come through your TV and through every other form of feed will tell you to cast restraint off. It will tell you that restraint hinders your freedom and restraint is wrong. Many would say that we need to be free of all restraints. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. But that is a faulty philosophy for life and for living. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it might be a slick advertising slogan for a sports brand. But as, a, but as a rule for living, it brings pain, destruction, and immense damage in many ways. The restraints that people cast off that Solomon refers to are not wrong restraints, bad restraints. They're good restraints. They're the restraints of God's Word, the restraints of God's wisdom that bring happiness, that bring 
blessing. And without those healthy restraints to guide us, to correct us, to adjust our lives, confusion and chaos and pain set in. Other translations translate verse 18 by saying this, where, there, where there's no vision, people perish. And that word perish is a horrible word. It describes an awful state of life because it means to merely exist. It's a picture of going round and round and round and round in circles. Never experiencing anything new. Day after day, there's a slow erosion mentally, morally, in the state of being, in your state of being. A decomposing of life and its values. This is what was happening to Asaph in Psalm 77, if you remember. His life was slowly eroding and perishing, merely existing. Why? Because he had left the revelation of God's Word. And now he was trying to process life and examine life through the filter of his own thinking. And he was in a, in a desperate place of life. It was happening to Paul in Romans 7, as we looked at last week. Perishing in life. Why? No revelation. No vision. No word of God. No truth. But then those men woke up to the word of God. Asaph recognized his plight, addressed it, and began to speak to himself, correct himself, and adjust his course of life and living with the word of truth. Everything changed. Same with Paul. In a pitiful condition in Romans 7, because he's living a life under the scrutiny of the law, and he can't fulfill it in his own strength. Oh, wretched man, I am, he says, at the end of Romans 7. And suddenly, there's a vision of Jesus. He goes into Romans 8, and his life is completely transformed. He lives now, not in self-strength, but by the power of the Holy Ghost. Envisioned. Oh, how vision changes everything. How the living Word of God creates and generates expectation and fulfills everything that it's promised to do. When wisdom is heeded, blessing is ours. Solomon tells us, blessed is the one Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Wisdom then, wisdom for living, is not necessarily about having all the right answers or retaining lots of information. You know, sometimes people pride themselves on being wise because they've got lots of experience in life. And that can be the case. But that's not always what wisdom's about. It's not about being like some kind of wise spiritual guru. No. Wisdom's more about listening to and following the way in God's Word when it brings it's instruction. Embracing it when we need to obey it. Submitting to it when our emotions and our feelings rise up and rail against it. Obeying God's word in, instead of following our own way. King David said this in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word 
is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This was the testimony. These weren't just words from, a, from the, the mouth of a king who was feeling poetic one day and wanted to, you know, fill in on the chapter of a psalm that he was writing. And this was the testimony of a man's life. Looking back on his experience of life, he says, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And David had lived many, many years. This great king had encountered every type of life experience. His feet had walked on many, many different paths. Sometimes a path that was full of despair, danger, grief, and loss on an unimaginable scale. Other times he'd trodden on the path of great victory and prosperity, elated with incredible joy as the favor of God was seen and experienced on national level. He'd also walked the road, the, he'd also walked the, the lonely road of personal sin and destruction. Yet through it all, in all of the roads and paths that his feet had trodden on, he'd had light as the lamp of God, God's Word, showed him how to go forward. Whether he was being successful in his reign as king, or whether in times of great sin and personal darkness, as he realigned his life to the Word of God, he said, it's been like a lamp to me, helping me to walk out of where I am into what God has Amen. for me. It's wonderful. It really is. Irrespective of where, where we're positioned today in life, God's Word comes as light to help us, direct us, and take us forward. David allowed the light of God's word to navigate the way. He was a man who had allowed the word of God to dwell within him richly, and it had become the governing voice in his life that was active that enabled him to adjust, address, and align himself with God, God's Word. All the way through Psalm, uh, sorry, all the way through Proverbs 29, over its 27 verses, Solomon brings before us striking comparisons as he compares two very different types of people. He pictures the life of the wicked alongside the life of the righteous. The wicked, over the course of this chapter, are casting off restraint after restraint in pursuing their own way, refusing to embrace the revelation of God's Word, refusing to address attitudes, address actions, refusing to align themselves with the truth. Yet, he also shows us the righteous with all of their troubles and all of their hardships experiencing the blessing of God on their lives because they choose to follow wisdom's instruction and wisdom's guidance. If you read Proverbs chapter 29, you'll see that this chapter is all about how life plays out. One life that lives dependent on revelation for direction to honor God. And one life 
that lives for self-interest and self-fulfillment. Proverbs 29, Solomon brings us up close to see the bitter end, the bitter end of choosing to reject God's revealed word. And on the other hand, we see the rewards of the righteous who love God and who seek his way. Proverbs 29 as a chapter is all about people embracing thoughts, thoughts in their mind that develop into attitudes and that finally come out in actions of life. Their thoughts take them on a set course to an end destination that's governed by the choices that they make. This chapter, if you read it, you'll see, is a chapter that cautions, cautions any reader to think about what we think about. Think about what we think about. Because as I've said, the strongest, most dominant thoughts that we entertain and embrace in our minds set our direction, set our course in life. Remember how back in Proverbs 23, verse 7, Solomon says this, and I mentioned this a number of weeks ago now, but it's important to remind ourselves of it. Proverbs 23, verse 7, Solomon says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. She's saying, think about what you think about. It's important. Because as you think, so you are. Life is not just a series of random chance events and circumstances, as many would want to believe. No, we govern life. We make life. We're responsible for the lives that we live. It's not a matter of K-Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K-Sarah, Sarah. No, it's not. Not according to the Word of God. Solomon points that out. We are responsible for creating the lives that we live by the thoughts that we think and the choices that we make. And the thoughts that we repeatedly allow into our minds become life's building site. Very simple. But it's quite sobering when we really understand it. On one occasion, Jesus illustrated this very, very powerfully by telling a story about a young man who had big thoughts in his mind about his life and about his future. This young man seemingly had great vision, great ambition, great drive and determination to make something of his life. In fact, he was so determined to make something of his life that he decided to go it alone and be completely independent of anyone and anyone around him. He was going to cut off all of his family ties and set up all on his own. He had decided to leave the confines and care of his home because now it was cramping his style 
And he had visions and he had dreams and he had imaginations that were bigger than the restrictions and the restraints of his family that he held privately in his heart as he lay on his bed at night or as he daydreamed in his work around his father's house. But his picture, it's a really simple story, his picture for life didn't have God in it at all. Even though his vision for the future went far, far, far down the road of life, far beyond the boundaries and restraints of his own home, far outside his little community that was so caring, even beyond the borders of his own country, his vision went to a far-off land. What a vision! But it didn't have God in it. And therefore, it would only be a matter of time before his life, and life is precious, his life would spiral out of control. Because whilst he had big, impressive ideas and dreams of what he was going to do and what he was going to achieve in his future, he had no revelation of God's wisdom or word in his heart. Let me pick up on the story as Jesus tells it, Luke 15. You'll recognize it well. Luke 15, verse 11 through to verse 24. Jesus talking. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. This story is familiar to us. Familiar to many right across the world. Because it's powerful in the truth that it conveys. A loving father one day confronted by the ambitions of his young son. And the words that come from this young man's mouth are direct. He gets straight to the point. He doesn't mince his words. There's no trying to persuade dad or trying to sweet talk dad. This young man is a straight talker. And it's simple. He just wants what his father owns. He's not shy about it. He gets straight to the point, and he just bluntly blurts it out. Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. What a cold demand. Could have easily ruined the relationship right there. But the son didn't care about that. He didn't care if he re ruined his relationship with his father. He just wanted to get what he felt belonged to him and be on his way. He has places to go, dreams to fulfill, a vision, a vision to live out. Give me, he says portion of goods that fall to me. When Jesus told this story, he would have got the attention of everybody because this was a huge mark of disrespect in that culture. 
Because this young son was communicating a clear message to his dad, a message that he had no respect for him anymore, a message that said he didn't want to be under his father's care any longer, a message that said, Dad, in my eyes, you're as good as dead. Hand over the money that belongs to me. I want to leave. I want to go it alone. This is a picture of a young man with no vision, with no revelation of God for his life or for his future. He's just got a just do it mentality. He casts off restraint, the restraints of his home, the blessing of wisdom that his parents would give to follow his selfish ambition. And as he embraced that wrong way of thinking, you see, it was a wrong way of thinking that this young man embraced. It was a wrong way of thought that was at the root cause of all of his troubles. As he embraced that, he began, he began to minimize all the joys that home provided. All the freedom, the blessing, and care that he had always known, now he despised. And he saw it as binding and as imprisoning. The father, loving his young son, knowing probably what was in his heart, graciously submits to the young son's demand. And as we've read, not many days later, he up and leaves. Pockets full of cash, full of vision. He's on his way. And he heads out far, far away from home to a far country. No restraints, no restrictions, no one around to question his choices or be accountable to. No other voice to listen to other than his own. Now his own impulses and feelings and desires are directing him, and he's going to have a wild time. Living it up from one party to the next. But the time comes when his money run out, when all he had was the clothes on his back. And that's when the realities of life started to really bite into the experience of life that this man had. Luke 15 verse 14 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen in that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. The Gentile pig owner that he joins himself to offered him no prospect, no provision, no security to get back on his feet. The only thing that this landowner could offer this desperate young man was to live with the pigs in filth. And there he had to fight over the scraps of food, longing just to get some type of provision amidst all of the muck now that he was living in. That's how bad things got for this young man. And it's a sobering lesson for us to see. There is a sobering message in this story. 
Because in spite of what people believe, happiness is not found in doing your own thing your own way. No, happiness is found in embracing godly restraints in our thinking and in our living and making choices in accordance with the teaching and instruction of wisdom. In the modern world in which we live, nobody wants to be told how to think or how to live. But almost on every page of the Bible from beginning to end, we are told how to think and how to live. That's why sometimes people don't want to open it. This young man destroyed his life because he thought he knew what was best for his life. His future was over until, and this is the great thing, until, just like Asaph, he said, this is my infirmity. Or just like Paul, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. He came to a moment of revelation. He came to a moment of realization for his life. That's when everything changed. Jesus tells us that he came to himself. Or as some other translations put it, he came to his senses. Or he came to his right mind. What a wonderful moment. All of the years that he'd been living under the blessing of his father and in a home full of provision, he had thought in a way that was wrong, entertained imaginations and thoughts about his life that would end in sadness and pain. But yet now, in a pigsty, the lowest moment of his life, he comes to a high point where for possibly the first time in years, he begins to think wisely. He comes to his senses. He came to his right mind. What an unusual place in life to be, to come to your right mind in. Listen to verses 17 to 19. But when he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, or came to his right mind, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And what does he say? And I perish with hunger. Why was he perishing? Because he didn't have a vision or a revelation in the first place. And he hadn't followed wisdom's way. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The first time in a long time, the young man is making a wise choice. Just one wise choice will do it. Amen. Just one wise choice will change all of the complexities and all of the, 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 the painful experiences that shroud life. Just one wise choice. What an amazing change that takes place. He took responsibility. He took it. He took responsibility for the lowest moment of his life. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't look around, criticize or complain for the crisis that he was in. He didn't try and, you know, Sing a sad song or send out some sob story. No, he took 
responsibility for where he was. And he realized that he was the cause of the pain, the loss, and the squalor that his life was in. Not only did he take responsibility, he took action. He got up. I will arise and go to my father. He was determined. He suddenly had one wise thought. And everything about his life was about to change because of that one thought. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It's amazing what one, one wise choice, one wise decision can do in the lowest moment of life. Great transformation for our lives can really be just one new thought away when God's the center of it. The prodigal had left his father's house many years before saying, give me. That was his drive. That was his demand. That was the cold conversation that he'd had with his father, that his father graciously responded to. Give me, he said, the portion of goods that fall to me. But now he's returning home, broken, desperate, and in need. He's no longer saying, give me. That kind of language and attitude is far gone. He's leaving that spirit in the pigsty where it belongs. He's saying, make me, make me one of your servants. His heart has been transformed. His life has been changed. Suddenly he's seen what he has to do and he addresses his attitude. He addresses the actions that he'd formerly taken and he said, you know what? I'm going to put my life right with God. I've sinned against God and I recognize that and against my dad too. And I'm getting up to put it right. I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, just make me a servant. And verse 20 says, he took action and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In the original Greek, the word picture is of the father deeply. I mean, it's hard for us to understand it other than picturing it in our imaginations. But it's of the father deeply embracing his son and not just kissing him on the cheek, but smothering him with kisses, with love. The father's unrestrained. The father can't hold his affection back openly. He just runs to his son and kisses him profusely. And the son then goes into this recital that he maybe had been practicing all the way home because maybe he was a bit nervous. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father he doesn't listen to any of that. Verse 22 tells us, but the father said to the servants, his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. It's a picture of total restoration and new life. Father gives this young man the best robe of honor that was reserved for the, the most esteemed guest. It was a visible sign of acceptance back into the home. 
The returning son was smelling the pigs. He hadn't washed in months. He'd had no time to clean himself up so that he could be presentable to his dad. He was dirty. He was smelly. He was stinking. He was a picture of a foreign land. And all the marks of it. But now, it's in the house. And the best robe from the wardrobe that distinguished him as a son again was on his body covering all of the dirt of a past life. And then the ring goes on his finger. Reinstatement of his sonship. All the rights restored. He's given back authority in the household and access to all of the provisions. The boy had walked on barefoot. No trains in those days. Or Uber. He'd walked home barefoot from a far country. And yet on those callous, dirty, bloodstone, blood-stained feet, the servants brought sandals for this young man. Because in the house, sons wore sandals, but servants walked barefoot. And this young man had been reinstated. And now it was another sign, another endorsement of his sonship. And then to cap it all off, I can ask the musicians to come. To cap it all off, there's a huge party for this young man's return. The fatted calf. The calf that had been prepared for his return was slain. And this young man that had lived in a land of famine, this young man who had felt the pangs of hunger and want over his life and the fear of uncertainty in his future now sits as the head guest at home, restored, reinstated as a son. There's no famine in that house. He's feasting again in the presence of his father. Rewarded, rewarded by just one wise choice it's amazing what wisdom and the wisdom of God's word can do in all of our lives I believe it was Peter the apostle that said in his epistles one of his epistles that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through his exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great and precious is the wisdom of God's promise over our lives. Sometimes it will restrain you, constrain you, guide you, correct you, adjust those attitudes, confront those choices. But as we go with it, and as we allow it to change, 
transform and form our mind and our thinking. The rewards for each and every one of our lives abound, abound. Maybe today, it's a time to, again, think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Because the direction of our lives go in the course of the thoughts that we entertain, embrace, and take hold of. Think about what we think about. Let's have a new desire to allow and let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. For it to teach us. For us to admonish one another. Instruct and encourage each other with the word of God. And if there's areas of our lives we think, oh Lord, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy because I don't believe that you're pleased with it. If there is areas of our lives like that, then let's take time to go before God, to ask him for his wisdom, his correction, and his direction. And it may be just one or two wise choices that maybe you've put off, you've put aside one or two wise choices that you're struggling to make as you submit to wisdom's way. You wait and see the outcome, the reward. The reward of wisdom is far greater, far greater than any momentary sacrifice that you might make. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to sing. Father, today we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your help. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would hear your word speaking, possibly correcting, teaching, exhorting, adjusting our thoughts and our attitudes and our ways. Lord, you know intimately what we struggle with, what our challenges are, You know, the areas that maybe you've been trying to speak to us about. But we put it off because we don't want to address it. Possibly because it's painful. Holy Spirit, would you help us to heed your word and to walk in your way. Not to ever be like those who would cast off restraint, but to embrace the good restraints, the healthy restraints of your word of wisdom to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you give God praise for his word? Listen, before we sing, we're going on our holidays next week as a family. So we are going to miss you over the next two weeks. But um, do you know what? You're going to have such a blessed time. Uh, Dave and Stella Saunders are going to be ministering next Sunday, and they're going to be bringing you wonderful testimonies from prison ministry. And um, Dave's going to be sharing a word. What a blessing, right? So encourage them. And then on the second week, uh, Paul Marshall is going to be bringing God's word. I'm telling you, you're going to be so blessed. 
But um, listen, please pray for us. It's always an adventure when we go on holiday. <laughs> pray for the people around us. They'll need it. No, please pray. It's, al it's always an adventure, isn't it, Faye? Yes. It's always an adventure when we go on holiday. We'd value your prayers. But listen, we can't wait to get home and, and um, get back into it together. But uh, God bless you. Thank you for being so attentive to God's word. I know it's really warm today, and um, I've said a lot, but you've opened your heart, and um, I appreciate, I really do, your, your attentiveness to God's word this morning. God bless you. Why don't we stand and sing just before we go? Give God praise.